0: I had long ago stopped believing in promises. Biological imperatives, yes. Environmental factors, yes. Promises, no. Jeff Vandermeer, Annihilation. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie.
1: And I'm Devin. And today we are asking the question, in space, can no one really hear you scream when we talk about science fiction horror?
0: Is that the Jason X tagline? This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco. Or podcast favorite, Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to Audibletrial.com/slash Books in the Freezer. Happy listening.
1: Is that Jason? What? No.
0: I've seen Alien. I just didn't remember the tagline and I attributed it to the wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but Jason. Sorry. Sorry. The
0: other best speaks horror movie. I don't understand what you're so upset about. Oh my God. And in space, no one can hear you scream because your head is being dunked into liquid nitrogen and turning into a million pieces. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh God. Hey.
0: Anyway, I'm excited. I always love genre benders.
1: If, if you look at horror in general, horror is uh, a bit of a chameleon when it comes to pairing it with other genres.
0: Karma, 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 chameleon.
1: I knew you were going to sing that. As soon as I said that. <laughs> but yeah, no, it really is. It's, it's, it's a chameleon. It, It blends with pretty much every genre you can come up with. Like, we've already had our episode. We talked about comedy and how that's really good at breaking tension, making the story feel like a lot of ups and downs. It really strengthens it. Um, You can add like, dramatic stuff, romantic stuff that uh, gets the reader invested into the characters. So you can pretty much tie horror elements or take elements from other genres, put it into horror stories, and then mesh really well, usually by contrast. Horror is, like, the horrific, and everything else is kind of the... um, the counterbalance, but today we're talking about science fiction. I don't know, I think with, with science fiction, it's not so much a yin and yang thing, it's they are so well suited for each other. Um, so, in essence, I don't think necessarily a sci-fi horror really would count as a genre bender. I think they're just a like natural evolution of each other, if that makes any sense at all.
0: I get what you're saying. We kind of when we did our post apocalyptic episode, and we talked with PT Hilton, he talked about how you know, one story can be, you know, lean more towards science fiction or lean more towards horror. And a lot of that is about ambiguity and how much things are fleshed out and how much information you get. We talked about this then, too. Like, my husband needs world building, and he needs questions answered, and he does not like things to be left ambiguously at all. He does not like to suspend his disbelief. Like, if you are asking him to suspend his disbelief, he wants, like, a whole history of how this happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The main thing with
1: um, making science fiction, uh, as opposed to, say, fantasy or something like this, Mm -hmm. is just where it comes from like you could take the exact same story say a dark fantasy story replace the magic with technology and then it becomes a science fiction horror story so like it's science fiction is a really good it's really good backdrop it's a really good um manner of which the horror story is told yes i get what you're saying it's a marriage of genres that i think people don't necessarily consider but when you think about it it's really prominent throughout both Genres. Some of the biggest books in both science fiction and horror, like independently, you can you can lump in and talk a bit on this episode. Um, books like *I Am Legend*, Matheson, um, Orwell's *1984*. People will say that's science fiction, but I mean, you look at the tones and the way that story is told, and I would argue with anybody that that's that's a really powerful horror story. Um, all of H. P. Lovecraft's pantheon of gods are essentially aliens that are beyond our space and beyond our understanding but they are still extraterrestrials that are exerting their influence on man and that's why it's referred to as cosmic horror um that's something that would fit into sci-fi as well um then you look at stephen king stephen king a lot of his titles um involve science fiction you look at tommy knockers probably one of the bigger ones um recently under the dome um that's all about aliens dropping this dome on this small town and then the, the human condition within inside uh, Dream Dreamcatchers, all but alien invasions, and Cell is one of the most recent ones I've read, where the cellular signal uh, turns people into basically these mindless zombies, and it becomes a zombie apocalypse based on this signal sent from Cell Towers. There, there's a lot of just, you would call them horror novels that I think would fit into sci-fi, and I think just a lot of sci-fi that you would fit into.
0: Yeah, I'd also like to add Frankenstein.
1: One of the first science fiction novels yeah. ever. Is one of the most iconic horror monsters ever created. So Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, yeah, that's another good one as well. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, that's there's very few things more iconic than that. That is alchemical, but that's still part of you know the scientific method here. And if you go back to when uh, Orson Welles performed War of the Worlds over the radio broadcast and caused uh, panic in the country, um, you'll it's hard to argue that War of the Worlds wouldn't count yourself as amongst. You know, a, a horror experience, if nothing else. So it's it's very prominent. Like I said, these these two these two ideas blend really really well. They're they're well crafted for each other. I think so. You'll you'll have your books, um, and you'll you'll see some of them that we talk about later. You'll have your horror novels that have science elements, science fiction elements, and then you'll have science fiction novels that have horror elements, but more so than normal, more so than other. Um, genre benders that we've talked about before. I think we're going to see these as more natural, more and more cohesive.
0: Yeah, like I definitely think the lines were blurrier than usual with our picks. And I would say more so than not, most of these, at least my picks anyway, would be shelved in science fiction before they would be shelved. In horror, if people start getting really technical about it, I would say most of them on my end, strong science fiction elements of horror.
1: Yeah, mine um they're going to spoilers yes because we're not there one of them i would probably rate more of action e and one that didn't quite make the the list for me this uh this episode was the fireman by joe hill literally before recording i changed my mind about having that as one of my picks um that one is a horror novel uh it's about a kind of a disease that's taking over a lot of the world where you're getting these like scalish kind of markings over your body and then they, they ignite and people are exploding. The way it's presented is it's very, it's very horror. It's very end of the world um, pandemic kind of, oh, is this really happening kind of thing. They don't dive too much into the science of it, but when they do, they still do. And the a viral outbreak and people looking into the causes of it, the treatments of it, the uh, surviving after all this fits within the realm, the overall realm of science fiction. So, again, it's another one where it's it's very difficult to pick a, a book that's, you know, exclusively say, oh, this is a horror novel. Mm-hmm. But, oh, there's some science fiction in it. A lot. Of, they're so murky <laughs> to look and see which one's which. A lot of times dark science fiction and science fiction horror are nearly indistinguishable. It's just depending on the person reading it and how they view what they're reading.
0: It's funny because there was also a book that I was going to pick, but I didn't because of the science fiction element in it. I was going to pick The Shining Girls by Lauren Bukas, which has a time-traveling serial killer. And I switched it out for another time traveling murder book. But I picked the one I went with because the time travel aspect was a little more fleshed out. And I thought that would be better for science fiction readers because The Shining Girls was really interesting and really great. But I would say the way time travel is handled would be more fantasy because it's a portal and it's just like, just deal with it. There's time travel now. Okay. And this one, it's like, we discovered time travel. Here's how it happened. Here's the history of this. And here's the rules. And here's the protocols we have in place. So I will talk about that more later when I talk about it. But it's just funny because we both had like other picks. We almost did.
1: These are honorable mentions for this week. (laughs) Uh, Of the two of us, you probably read less of, I guess, science fiction horror, to myself how was the experience
0: i recently discovered science fiction as a genre i think i um within the last year or two i kind of got more into it but i think there's a little bit of overlap too with our ocean horror episode i think there's a lot of horror science fiction in that episode also a lot of stories starring like yes uh scientists (laughs) you're gonna see a lot of that and one of the recurring themes i noticed was the danger of playing god and messing with nature reaching too far wanting too much you know your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should yeah type of deal
1: yeah you find um there's a lot of um not i was gonna say christian uh, science fiction authors but i think it's just a religious uh, authors in general will tap into that heavy like man basically defying god by kind of overstepping his his boundaries um and getting punished for it i mean that's in in a sense that's what godzilla was not run on religious terms but godzilla was uh a warning against nuclear testing
0: i did not know that <laughs>
1: Uh Godzilla was done in the wake of not like not even ten years after Hiroshima, so it was the dangers of nuclear weapons, nuclear arms um and a warning to to man of what what will happen if we continue doing this. This is the the genesis of what brought on the Godzilla series
0: or just messing with the laws of nature,
1: basically defying the natural order of things that's a very common thing and but again, that's something it's not exclusive the really sci-fi. you find that a lot in horror as well. it's people you know. Overstepping.
0: Also, two out of three of my picks are expeditions into the unknown. So just explorations, caves, space, you know, the deal.
1: Which is another really s- strong, strong element of science fiction when you look into the darker side of science fiction. I mean, what other fear is more universal almost than fear of the unknown? Horror taps into that really well. When you mix that fear of the unknown with, uh, you know, sailing through space or cave diving, that's like a, a nightmare for like, I'd say more than half of the population. Um, what you don't know, because then your mind is, creates all these elements and all these things that can be absolutely paralyzing if done well, a.k.a. like the Descent.
0: I love the Descent. Would you consider that sci-fi horror?
1: Uh Descent? Probably not sci-fi.
0: Yeah, I'm like, I wouldn't.
1: So let's take the Descent. And if they added... An element of the story where, um, not just a scientist, but somebody educated um, talked about like the evolution of man, how we came from potentially living in caves and nocturnal kind of things and to where we are now, and then the descent happened. That would probably fall into science fiction because they explained the science behind the creature's origin, and then the creatures messed stuff up.
0: I wouldn't say the first one is sci-fi. I've never seen the second one, but she does, one of the characters has to go back down into the cave, so I don't know if she has outside people that speculate as to what the creatures are a little more in the second one.
1: I didn't know there was a sequel, but yeah, that's that's that would be adding a science science fiction element to a horror story. But it's still, as I said earlier, how easy it is to to blend the two together. Right? It's just missing that little origin story, and then it's part science fiction tale. For
0: sure. Speaking of, do you know any other movies that blend science fiction with horror?
1: Every single with some exceptions amazing horror movie that came out in the late 70s to like early 90s can pretty much fit into here and some earlier ones the original blob came in 1958 and it's literally nothing more than a big pink mass devouring everything but it's an alien it came from space therefore science fiction one of my favorite movies in this episode that we're going to even hint at. Is they live because it has Rowdy Roddy Piper in it, who is a who was a wrestler. <laughs> but it's it's basically an alien invasion. You got this blue collar worker dude. He finds these black sunglasses, and when he puts it on, he starts seeing weird things. Like there's people that have these weird, like grotesque dark faces with big bulging eyes and turns out there's been an alien invasion going on for a long time and they've infiltrated all parts of society and there's these weird propaganda things you can see on billboards that you can only see with the glasses on um and it's 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 hilarious um how about you
0: i mean i see a glaring omission on this list
1: (laughs) which what would that be
0: only one of the best sequels you know what i'm talking about
1: I, I don't know what you're referring to. No, nothing.
0: Jason X. <sighs> no, seriously, though. Uh, I'd like to add
1: uh, okay.
0: Invasion of the Body Snatchers.
1: Body Snatchers? Yes. That's that's an iconic, like one of the iconic horror movies. Um, and clearly, science fiction. Pod people. That's That's something that scared people for decades.
0: Something that I think people would say is more sci-fi. But as a child, I would have argued with you that it's horror. Jurassic Park
1: yes um that I absolutely absolutely it's it's, especially if you consider um the dinosaurs getting off the islands
0: oh my gosh I lived in San Diego while I watched that that was horrifying (laughs) as a child you poor thing (laughs) I was like they are literally where I live
1: (laughs) we are we haven't mentioned like the biggest ones yet but I'm sure everybody listening right now is screaming at their phone waiting for us to say something like alien like the iconic of iconic, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, um, the Predator, all all these big budget like well, in The Thing's case it was a remake, but these '80s massive movies that came out, um, they they're all they all fit within the realm of horror.
0: Ooh, The Faculty.
1: Oh my God, yes. Well, The Faculty is a play on the Evasion of the Body Snatchers. It just takes place in a high school. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of, my, one of my favorite ones as a kid was Critters. Critters were absolutely adorable. I love those guys. They're little furball aliens that do nothing but eat. And when they like are running around, or move, the way they move around is they, they're like Sonic the Hedgehog. They roll into a little furball and they roll away. Some of the lines in that were hilarious. Event Horizon. Event Horizon is the f- absolute first one that came to mind when when we talked about science fiction horror. Event Horizon was actually going to be my chilling obsession because I've watched that movie three times since I knew we were doing this episode. Oh wow. because <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Event Horizon is um, like doom basically. Um, if you've ever played those video games, it's a ship. it's got faster than light travel, but what it did, it's uh, it's a type of uh, light travel, faster than light travel that folds space and time and they go through it and teleports at the other side. But the story to event horizon is that somewhere in the interim between when they left and when they arrived, it went through like a hellscape kind of dimension. and just everything was changed. and it reminds me a lot of Barker. In the gore. Oh and yeah.
0: The... I can see that. I am forever on the search for an Event Horizon read alike.
1: Um I do have an Event Horizon play alike. I like a video game. But that will okay. be the chilling we'll obsession later. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so listeners, if you would like to help me out and suggest a space centered horror novel similar to Event Horizon. Please let me know.
1: You know what? I may be able to help you with my first pick, possibly, now that I think about it.
0: Nice. Shall we move on to the books then?
1: Uh, We shall.
0: I am bringing up a familiar title, but I felt I had to talk about it. And that is Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. Have you read this one or seen it?
1: I have read half of it and then got distracted and didn't get the chance to finish. But I like what I've read and I did see the movie.
0: Did you like the movie?
1: It was okay. I heard the book was better.
0: (laughs) I liked the movie. It was like (laughs) trippy in a good way. Anyways, Uh, this is the first book in the Southern Reach trilogy. And it is about Area X, which all we know is that it's a strange, Edenic landscape, it keeps growing, and it's a bit of a threat. They've sent several expeditions, 11 total, but something bad always happens. Usually, everyone dies Or if they come back, they die of something. So as I mentioned, something always happens. So they either disappear. One died in a hail of gunfire. One expedition, they all came back, but with advanced stages of cancer. Or the very last 11th expedition came back uh, just catatonic, like shells of their former selves. So they are sending a 12th expedition. And this time it'll be four women, an anthropologist, a biologist, a surveyor, and the de facto leader, the psychologist. This is being told from the point of view of the biologist, and nobody knows anybody's names. Everyone is just referred to by their job. So you, the characters are referred to as, you know, the anthropologist, the surveyor, the psychologist. And as you read the story, the, I love the writing in this, and just the slow tensions within the group, which I know is a very, like, Stephanie thing to say. <laughs> yes. Like, listen, I love a good breakdown of a group dynamic. And the landscape starts getting to them. The things that they are observing don't make any sense. And can they trust what they are seeing? Can they trust each other? I would say like a perfect Stephanie book, like Chef's Kiss.
1: Yeah, your your taste in narratives like that, the character-centric, group dynamic kind of thing. I think that's one of the few things that you and I are completely on the same page on. <laughs> like, we disagree on so much, but... I think that one we are on the same page, and yeah, that's that's one thing what I've read of Annihilation. I did oh, enjoy it.
0: I think I need to reread it soon. But that is my pick. I would say this is room temperature. Yeah, you're following the biologist as she kind of just hikes through area X and it's almost like a a sleepy tone, like just kind of going through the motions, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. No, it makes sense. And and that's something that I meant to bring up when we were discussing the genre in general is that in the the more heavy you go into the sci-fi, the less of a temperature we're mm-hmm. going to get on this um, because the way science fiction horror tends to do it is if they go heavy sci-fi, then they're explaining away a lot of the things that are happening, which immediately diminishes like the, the intrigue and the mysterious factor of it. So the more they explain, the more scientific they are about things, the the harder it is to really get a fright out of it.
0: I agree. Yeah.
1: Know what I mean? Yeah. And that brings me to what may be what Steph was asking for earlier, which is, I think, not a perfect match. But um, it's certainly an Event Horizon-ish kind of horror story.
0: I'm listening.
1: (laughs) It's from an author that I've mentioned before in the Small Press episode, uh, Paul E. Cooley. And this is Derelict Marines. So Derelict Marines is the first of a... I believe it's going to be four books now. It was supposed to be one (laughs) Uh, saga. Uh, It's called the Derelict Saga now. And um, this is the story of the ship Mira. Mira is... A science fiction version of Noah's Ark, where humanity kind of came together, built the ship. It was packed with like resources and and the information required and stuff required to rebuild civilization, so on and so forth. Um, and once it left our solar system, it just disappeared, um, which caused a lot of political strife on Earth, um, and and all this. But all, but that's the backdrop. That was fifty years ago. So Mira has now returned 50 years later um, outside the the orbit of Pluto. And this is a story of a team of Marines and, and scientists um, making their way to find out what happened with the ship. Um, full disclosure, I will say that. I don't think this is a book you can just read the first one and be completely satisfied. I think this is better. And even Paul has said this on his own podcast. um, It's more of a long story that should have been one just big book than a couple of separate ones. Um, But it's Paul is one of my favorite horror authors right now. He's got a really good grasp of the genre. And this was his foray into military science fiction. But what he ended up creating is again this like really tense and kind of even somewhat claustrophobic story of of this this spaceship Mira and the the antics of of the crew uh, going to you know investigate what's going on. Um, I'm presently finished the third book right now, so I'm not sure what I can get into without you know spoiling anything, but. Yeah, um, it's definitely worth a worth a read. I'd say worth a listen. Uh, Paul is a podcaster. He podcasts all of his fiction as well. He, so he narrates it himself. And the audiobook is read by him too. So yeah, I would highly recommend his work, especially this one here. This is one of his more, uh, more successful titles that came in recently. And in terms of a temperature rating... For the series, I would probably maybe put it in the fridge. Um, this first one has a lot of buildup, so probably closer to room temperature. But I do think it's a good read worth your time. I'm
0: going to check it out. <laughs> For sure.
1: I'm glad to hear. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so that was Derelict Marines by Paul E. Cooley
0: so is the first title derelict marines or is that the series
1: it's called the derelict saga now okay (laughs) when the book was published it was derelict marines was it was going to be just the book Okay. marines i don't sorry sorry marines wasn't actually on the title when he was writing it it was just derelict but then when he realized he was like um i'm I'm done of a book and i got like two-thirds left to go oh crap um okay give it a subtitle and move on to the next book (laughs) it's kind of what happened here
0: okay So my next pick is The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling. So this was actually a new release, came out I think early April, and it follows our main character, Jire, who is a cave diver, but she may have, you know, fluffed up her resume a little bit, may have lied about some of her experience in order to get this job because all she wants is to save enough money to get off her home planet and she has a mission. She just has things she wants to get done. This is a big job that pays really well. So she felt like she just kind of did what she had to do. So like I said, she lied about how much technical experience she had as a cave diver. But she does get this job. And, you know, there's things that she was expecting. Like when she she took this cave diving job, she was expecting to have a, you know, whole crew of people that she was talking to, you know, that she was reporting to. Uh, What ends up happening is that there is only one person that she's reporting to named M. So what's really interesting about this book is that it is essentially a two-character novel. So you have Jire who is going through and M who is uh, monitoring everything on her suit, monitoring all her levels and telling her where to go and what her objectives are for each day. This is a multiple-month journey that she is on and I will say one of the things that I found very interesting was the preparations that she had to do surgically for this trip because they didn't want to waste any time with like eating and stuff like that. So so I thought that was just a very interesting little tidbit there. So she has objectives every day. She has to get to certain camps where she will find supplies, you know, battery backups, any uh, food substitutes that she needs at each camp. Things start to get a little tense though when Jire doesn't know if she can trust M and M starts to cross some lines and take some liberties and starts dosing her with things and it becomes very clear that M is going to do whatever it takes to get this mission done and Jire is wondering like at what cost and Her safety is dependent on this one person. So it's a very tense back and forth. You don't know who can trust the other person. And Jire finds out that M knows that she lied. So now she's holding that over her. So listen, very character centric. Two person story. But what starts to go on is Jire starts to suspect that M is lying to her because some of the packages with what is supposed to be her supplies aren't there. And supposedly, she's alone in this cave. So is that not the case? It's what lines is I'm willing to cross. Because then as soon as Jire gets really upset or anything, she gives her a sedative. Because she can dose her with the suit.
1: Oh, okay. I got you.
0: And like keep her docile. And she's like, I don't don't care. I just need this mission to get done. So it's like a, a back and forth. Who can trust who? Who's lying?
1: Okay. That sounds cool.
0: Yeah, there's definitely claustrophobic parts. And in her resume, Jire says that her specialty is like very tight spaces. And I'm just like, no, on every level for me. No, thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Got a little uh, claustrophobia there?
0: I think I do. I don't know. I I would say like thinking about it, no. But I would say I get more freaked out being in spaces with a lot of people. That freaks me out more. Like not being able to get out, not being able to move my arms. What about you?
1: Um, No. It's a very boring answer, but uh, no. Well, to be fair, it's been a long time since I've been subjected to closed spaces, so I, w- I would think I'm not claustrophobic in any way. And I actually like crowds because it's easier to kind of blend and disappear and not be noticed. Okay, you guys may not believe me when I say this because I talk a whole lot on this podcast, but I i don't like attention. I don't like being the center of attention at any point in time. So like, if there's a lot of people around, I love disappearing within the crowd
0: i also don't like attention so i don't like being around a lot of people (laughs) okay i'm gonna pitch you a 90s sitcom episode idea so you're saying that well you know how like in 90s sitcoms they always had that episode where like you have to touch the car for like 48 hours and the last person to stay touching the car wins the car and they get into, like, a bunch of shenanigans.
1: I've seen, like, two episodes of shows that did that. I don't know, but...
0: I feel like I saw it a lot. So <laughs> so you're saying if there was one where you had to, like, sit in a coffin, but that coffin had, like, holes in it, you would do that?
1: Well, surprise.
0: Let's say a million dollars.
1: Yes, totally. Wait, am I in there with other people? No. Oh, God, yes. No, geez. <laughs> i would totally do that like
0: i would i would attempt it i just don't think i would last very long
1: i don't know how i feel about close bases i don't think i'm that bad with it but i do love isolation oh my that's why my day job is working overnights by myself or it was uh, i love isolation so so much but yeah 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 20 bucks easy so if uh, listeners want to PayPal some money in a coffin i will totally do that for the podcast
0: i think it has to be with like multiple people and then it has to be like a last one standing kind of deal oh
1: yeah yeah that's fine as long as you know they, they deliver food and such so. yeah i mean yeah okay i not okay. gonna starve you yeah, god
0: you get like bathroom and food breaks although in this scenario then there would have to be like a ton of coffins like i don't know <laughs> i didn't think this through yet okay <laughs> i didn't think through all of the the things that would have to happen but good to know So anyway, I will say the Luminous Dead is room temperature with some fridge moments. You do have the claustrophobic parts where she is squeezing through caves and having to dive underwater and where she is climbing and exhausted and trying to make it to her next camp but doesn't know if the supplies that are supposed to be there are going to be there and of course you have the whole idea which is is she in there alone and if not what is in there with her so some fridge moments there so that was the luminous dead by caitlin starling
1: so my next pick is from another author who's well known for his podcasting um scott sigler he is actually, I be, I'm not sure if it counts as the first or the second wave of podcast authors. I think he was the first amongst that wave of uh, authors who publicized their fiction for free in podcast form um, to get their name out there. Uh, he was one of the originators, if not the originator. And he's a really gifted, um, again, visceral, kind of goryish kind of um, horror author. Well known for the Infected series, sorry, sorry the Infected trilogy which was going to be one of my picks for this uh, episode. But then I think I would have rather do something a little less uh, well-known on his part. Because if you Google sci-fi horror novels, top ten lists, whatever, it usually infect is within the top five. Um, so I'm going to talk about one that I read. actually just finished it a couple of days ago. Um, that's Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Um So Ancestor is kind of... Um, in the vein of *The Island of Doctor Moreau*, which is another really, really great sci-fi horror classic. Um, *Ancestor* follows PJ Colding, and they go to uh, it's him and his team are at the uh, Canadian Arctic in hopes to find the means of having um, organ transplants universally done without ever having fear of. The organs being rejected, they find this um, ancestor, which is the progenitor of human beings in general, like the missing link, I guess, kind of thing, somewhat Bigfoot kind of f- creature. And what ends up happening is uh, him and his team end up kind of computer engineering this creature kind of back to life. And again, in the terms of using them as uh, a method of harvesting like organs and such that anybody could take and not reject um, because this is all compatible with human DNA. There, There is a significant amount of science to it. Unfortunately, you know, man shouldn't reach beyond his means in terms of this kind of thing. And the creature that was brought to life is not just going to lay down and let himself be an organ donor um it becomes a really graphic kind of creature horror story as um the new life forms now that have been brought back by use of technology are now kind of stalking and and preying upon the uh the scientists that brought them back and all of this takes place under the vein of a snowstorm that's kind of keeping everyone contained into the the facility which they uh they're working you get a lot of good island of dr moreau and the thing vibes from reading this book plus sigler himself is again when it comes to writing gore when it comes to writing action he's really well versed in that um in his stories his no one will ever accuse scott sigler of writing a slow burn basically I, although I would recommend pretty much almost anything he's put out that I've read the Alive, the Infected series, um, Earthcore. There's a lot of good sci-fi in there. Ancestors is one I just finished reading, and I adored it. Um, I might, in terms of a temperature... You know, I... Th- <sighs> huh. I want to say Fridge... But I think there's a lot more action to this where there could have been more tension. So I'm probably going to have to go with room temperature um, as well for this one. Even though, again, it's a very cold room temperature.
0: Okay. I've seen Scott Sigler a lot. And you're right. He's definitely one of the big names that pops up when you Google sci-fi horror.
1: Yeah. Like I said, uh, he got to start publishing his stuff for free. Um, just on his podcast ep- like weekly episodes of like a chapter or two and that's how he got well known and then he got traditionally published with uh, Del Rey so yeah he's he's really successful. he has his own um i guess technically indie published series of science fiction sports okay <laughs> the GFL series where it's like they have so many different like different sports games and anyway that's that's a whole different kind of podcast so we'll stop there but uh but yeah he's He's well-known. If you like sci-fi horror, you already know who he is. Uh, This is just my nod to check out Ancestor, because it's one I don't necessarily see a lot of people talking about. Right on. That was Ancestor by Scott Sigler.
0: So my last pick is the time travel murder story that I mentioned at the top of the episode. Yay. This is The Gone World by Tom Sweaterlich. And this follows Shannon Moss, who works with a special division of the NCIS in 1997. She's assigned a murder case where a Navy SEALs family was brutally murdered and his teenage daughter is still missing. And the Navy SEAL himself is also missing. And he was a part of the USS Libra, which was a ship that explored the darkest corners of deep time. It has a connection to Moss's own background. In hope of finding answers and finding the teenage daughter and just kind of finding out what happened here, she travels to the future for answers. Uh, So in this book, By 1997, the military has discovered time travel and does use it from time to time. So when she travels forward in time to, I think, like 2015, she meets up with other Marines and looks through files to see if in this future we figure out what happened and if we ever find the daughter or find a body. But the way this is laid out is when you travel to the future, that's not necessarily the future. It's called an if. So it's just one of many possibilities of what the future could be.
1: (laughs) Of course. The time time paradox you find a lot in time travel.
0: Oh man. It this one made my head hurt, but in a good way, a lot like Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. I think when you start talking about like, yeah, that and just you know, parallel dimensions, you're like, wow, okay. (laughs) So I would say because of that, there is a little bit of a, a minority report kind of bit to it. She's working against a lot of things, but one of the things that she is working against is this event called the Terminus, which will bring the end of humanity. So the Terminus and any scene where what the Terminus is and a world where the Terminus is here is described are horrific and do add a little bit of cosmic horror. And every time that she travels and people come back in different ifs, the Terminus keeps getting closer. So, you know, they come back and they're, they say, you know, it doesn't happen until 2040. Or, you know, we came back and this time it happened in 2020. This time it happened in 2007. Right. It is just so gory. This one is very action packed. You know, this is a little bit of a procedural. She has a murder case. She's trying to figure out what happened. But there's just so much going on here. <laughs> You know, there's a little bit of space travel, a little bit of pre-crime, crime crime prevention, a lot of high speed chases and intrigue, a creeping apocalyptic event. Just a lot, a lot of stuff happening.
1: Yeah, that sounds packed.
0: It was so good. Like, I could not put this down. So another thing with the ifs is that in this 1997 is the, the anchor point, like the true timeline. So they call that terra firma. Okay. And I guess when she travels to future timelines, as soon as she leaves, those timelines blink out of existence. Like, there's a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, time travel is tricky to write because there's so many moving parts like that.
0: Yes. So if you want something that's a little bit of a mind-bender, I would definitely suggest this. This one was a lot of dark fun. Very fast-paced, like I said. Uh, I would say this is Fridge. Fridge? Uh, Yes, there is a lot of moments of dried, uh, a lot of gore. A lot of people dying in this one. So surprisingly, we do have a Fridge pick here. Yay. So this is The Gone World by Tom Sweatterlich. Okay. All right. You ready for some chilling obsessions?
1: I am ready for some chilling obsessions.
0: So my chilling obsession is the second season of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. Season one was a, a chilling obsession I did when it came out. I don't remember what episode I... Recommended it in, but I just finished season two and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I will say, episode one for me, I kind of got off to a rocky start. So, this whole season deals with a lot of gender issues and feminism. But I think the first episode, the way that they went about it, was a little too on the nose for me. There wasn't a whole lot of nuance and a lot of subtlety. They were very much like, This season we're talking about. And it just didn't quite work for me from a a storytelling perspective. I wanted it to be a little more nuanced within the storytelling. But other than that, I thought the rest of the season played out really well. I thought there was a lot of stories that I was very interested in, a lot of character arcs that I wanted to know what happened. Um, As usual, there's one episode per season that's kind of a standalone. Uh, Season one had one that I think was more of a definite standalone and it kind of hearkened to the original uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch series where they are all working together to fight a like sleep demon that has gone out or like a dream demon. That was a really good episode and this one had a similar episode in that it it kind of broke the regular narrative and chain of events by having it take place at Dr. Cerberus's store and there's a fortune teller and each character comes in and gets their fortune told. So it's not quite a standalone because you do need to know what's going on with each character and where they are in the story. But I think each season does a good job of having like a nice little episode break to do something a little fun and a little different, which I really enjoyed. Um, they did some things with the love triangle that... Uh, I'm not a huge fan of where when they're making room for a new love interest, they make the old love interest seem stupid and lack personality, which I wasn't a huge fan of. But I get it. I get why everyone likes a certain character. I understand where the story went with that. I really enjoyed it. Definitely check it out if you haven't already. It's on Netflix. Uh, I just really like, I think, the feel of this series and the tone and the atmosphere. I love the kind of 60s vibes it gives, even though it's very much set in present day, they they do a lot to give it that aesthetic and that feel. So that is the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina season two.
1: So I guess it brings me to mine then, and mine, um, as per usual, I'm gonna try and stick with the topic and stay on brand. And I'm gonna talk about something that's relatively older, Um, If you're a video gamer, you already know about it for sure, and that's the Dead Space series. Uh, Dead Space was a game that came out back in 2018. Wow, minus 10 years. Uh, Came out in 2008. I was
0: like, all the way from 2018,
1: wow. I'm losing my mind. Um, No, it came out in 2008. Um, It came with a critical acclaim. It was massive back then so like i said if you're any kind of gamer you already kind of know about it but for you if you don't and you're just getting into games or you're a little younger this is basically event horizon the video game um you take control of isaac clark uh you are on a ship on your way to this um i believe like a mining facility originally like a, a scientific outpost um that has lost communication back with Earth. And when you arrive, uh, your ship gets damaged, so you get stranded there, and the game is you trying to figure out what happened, get your uh, ship basically repaired so you can escape. All the while, you find out that... These um, creatures exist on the ship and they're like distorting the, the people from the ship, the crew and the, and the families, and turning them into these like grotesque, deformed monsters called necromorphs. Um, it's a third person shooter game, not traditionally, like it's not you have an, uh, an assault rifle or shotgun and you're blowing things away. You actually have uh, weapons that are more tool related like they shoot razor blades and lasers that cut because the way to kill necromorphs is to actually chop off their limbs it's really got a lot of the same aesthetics as you would find in something like a event horizon or, or doom or something like that um lots of good jump scares in it the creatures are terrifying and there's a psychological aspect of this because Um, The whole premise of this is that the mining facility found this like big artifact and then people started worshiping it like it's a god and then changing themselves. And it gets pretty in depth. Um, There's three games in the series, the first two of which are really good. Um, And yeah, like I said, if you if you like stuff like Event Horizon, you like these derelict spaceships um these pseudo sci-fi slash horror kind of experiences i think dead space is really good and even for a game that's 11 years old now it still holds up i played it myself uh, on stream like two months ago played through and it still holds up like a game that came in today so that is my chilling obsession in terms of science fiction horror
0: nice nice topical
1: as always <laughs> i try to be <laughs>
0: well you know what we have is some lovely apple podcast reviews two five star reviews so the first one is titled my horror obsession I love Books in the Freezer. It was originally Stephanie and Rachel who were fabulous together. And while I am sad not to have Rachel on the podcast as often anymore, there couldn't be a better new co-host than Devin. They bounce off of each other really well. I've had so many great horror book, horror movie recommendations from this podcast. My only complaint is that I hate waiting for the next episode to be released. (laughs) And that is from Jade from the Books and Booze podcast. Oh, Definitely check out the Books and Booze podcast if you like true crime or thrillers in any way they've interviewed some very interesting people uh, including the daughter from dirty john like the real life one that it happened to and a lot of really good thriller authors they are australia based so definitely give them a listen our next five star review is titled a must listen this podcast is one i discovered pretty recently books in the freezer nice friends reference is a fantastic show The hosts are really likable and knowledgeable. After only listening to a handful of episodes, it's safe to say their book recommendations have increased the size of my TBR pile a lot. I say thank you. My wife, not so much. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to the next episode, Cabal. And this came from Apple Podcasts in Great Britain. So thank you so much. Please don't get in trouble with your wife over us, though. That puts us in a very awkward position. It totally (laughs) does. We do love adding to TBR piles, though. All right. You know what time it is? Um, Lunch? Time for that Justin Timberlake meme to make its rounds.
1: Because oh. it's going to
0: be May.
1: Except for when they hear this and it will be May.
0: It comes out April 30th. What?
1: I thought it comes out. Wait a minute. No, it don't. Oh, my God. It does. <laughs> Never mind. You know what? I quit. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> So, new month,
0: new book club pick.
1: And what will we be reading in May, Stephanie?
0: We are going to be reading The Family Plot by Sherry Priest.
1: And what, pray tell, is The Family Plot?
0: I shall tell you by reading the back of this book. <laughs> Here we go. Music City Salvage is owned and operated by Chuck Dutton, master stripper of doomed historic properties. But times are tight. So he's thrilled when Augusta Withrow appears in his office with a massive family estate to unload. For a check and a handshake, it's all his. The project has enough potential that he assigns his daughter, Dahlia, to oversee it. She preps a couple of trucks and a small crew, and they caravan down to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where the ancient Withrow house is waiting, along with the small, overgrown cemetery that Augusta Withrow left out of the paperwork. Augusta Withrow left out a lot of things. The property is in unusually great shape for a condemned building, but something in the mansion is angry and lost. This is the last chance to raise hell before the house is gone forever, and there's still plenty of room in this strange little family plot.
1: It's a double entendre. (laughs) I have not read any Sherry Priest before.
0: I haven't either, and she was another author that... um, came up because she has like a steampunk like alternative history series
1: bone shaker that's one um when i do these episodes i actually reach out like friends i'm like okay guys i'm uh, gonna be talking about this particular type of horror do you have any recommendations bone shaker came up like three times from other people
0: yeah that's one i want to get to too so family plot seems like a haunted house story with modern gothic sensibilities
1: Which makes it a Stephanie book, just with the modern gothic part, for sure.
0: So I do have it all set up on the Goodreads group, separated into five chapter sections for discussion. So if you are planning on joining us, as we've said before, please check out the Goodreads group and drop in your two cents after you finish a section and see what other people are saying about it. Be a part of the conversation. So we hope to see you there. (music) Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at Freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes will be at booksinthefreezer.com. I'm Stephanie, you can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya, that's L-A-D-Y underscore g h e n o n. or on Instagram at That's What She Read, but that's with two A's, or on YouTube at That's What She Read, just spelled normally.
1: And I'm Devin, Uh, you can find me on Twitter at reads, and you can also find me streaming horror games on Twitch at Indie Insomniac.
0: Join us next time for Books in the Freezer. Thank you.